Hey guys. My name is Mark, and I'm one of the pastors here, and we are wrapping up a series called I Want a New Marriage. Now, what we're going to do at the end of the message today, some of you may not be aware of, we, uh, we talked about it a little bit on Facebook, we announced it last week, but we are going to have a real quick, it's real simple, nothing dramatic or at, at all, or elaborate is the word I'm looking for, but we are going to have a renewal of vows not vowels, vows. That's hard for me to say. Uh, it'll be a consonant renewal. Cons vow Never mind. We're stretching there. But if you'd like to renew your vows, you've uh, been married one day or 35 years, just going to have a time at the end of the service where we'll come up here, perform a real quick ceremony, and you can express once again to your spouse your undying commitment and love. So, if you, if you haven't already signed up for that, you can still do it at the end. So, you got, you know, about 20 minutes to propose, guy or the girl, I don't know. You don't have to get down on one knee. It's just, hey, babe, what do you think? If she says or he says, okay, then you'll come up at the end of the service. So, uh, well, what we're going to do today, it's just sort of a, a relaxed service today. We're wrapping up the series. It's holiday weekend. It's beautiful weather outside. Um, so it's, we're not going to be very long, but uh, what I want to do is wrap up with some questions. At the beginning of each service, we put this number up on the screen. that says, if you have a question, you can text us as an anonymous thing, and you can still even text today. But there are some questions that uh, we haven't been able to get to, and so we're going to wrap up with those questions. And another thing that you can also do is you can join uh, this Facebook group we put together called I Want a New Marriage. Oh, my wife's in the audience today. Wow, this is weird. <laughs> She's never there. Anyway, I have to not look at her while I'm talking. Um, you can join this Facebook group where we just discuss different things during the week concerning marriage, put videos there, we ask questions, people, uh, we even uh, give advice to each other about marriage. So you can join that Facebook group, you just search for that group and click to join. Now before we get to the questions, We've said a couple of times, I may have just said it in one service, sometimes I'll say something in the second, not in the first, and vice versa. But I said if, you, if you're planning on getting married, and, and this also applies if you're already married, you're a little bit late with this if you're already married, but especially if you're planning on getting married, there's some things that every couple needs to decide before they decide to take the plunge. They, there's some, th some things that they need to talk about. I've been, always said that there's four things. Uh, I'm adding one this week because of, of some questions that came in. But uh, the first one, and they talked about a little bit on the video, first thing you need to talk about is money. How do you view finances? Are you a person that's, uh, if you've been through Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University, they'll talk about usually in a marriage that there is a nerd and there's a free spirit. There's one person that is really, you know, let's save, let's take care of it, and make sure we have money before we actually spend it. Then there's the other person and uh, which one are you, Jeannie? Get her. Huh? She's the nerd. And, what, and I'm the free spirit. So uh, in our marriage, Jeannie takes care of the money. She, it's the only reason we've survived this long. And um, so there's some things you need to discuss. If you, for instance, a lot of times guys are like, well, guys are just supposed to take care of the money. Well, actually, the one that's most gifted with that would be the best one to take care of the money. And so uh, you might discuss that. How do you view debt? There's some people that, oh, I don't want us to ever have debt. And the other person is thinking, well, if we never have any debt, are we going to live in a tent? What are we going to do? 
And so you need to have these discussions. If you already have, have accrued some debt, things like that, how do, you, how do you want to spend our money? What are your goals? Maybe her goals are to have a huge house, and you're like, the tent sounds really good to me. We'll buy it. We'll do the upgraded model tent. It'll be fine. Well, you need to have those discussions before you get married. Uh, we talked about this a lot last week, but sex. You need to have a discussion about sex. How often? What type? You know, just you might want to just, guys, show, okay, here's a picture. Just say yes or no. This, no? Okay. How about this? No? Yes? No? Okay. That's going to be bad. This is not good. So, uh, you need to have those discussions. We talked about that, so we won't go any further. Uh, you need to talk about kids. If, you, if one of you, if she's wanting to have eight kids and you can't stand the sight of kids, then there's going to be a conflict there. You need to discuss um, how do you view discipline. Are you a person that wants to uh, spank, or are you a person that's more of a timeout, or uh, let's discuss this, like sort of the guy with his baby there. That's usually how it goes, by the way. And so, you know, you need to discuss those various things. How do you, um, you know, do you want your, your parents, are your parents live close to us? Are they going to be babysitting? Because I don't, I don't want our kids to turn out like you. I don't know. You need to have these, <laughs> these kind of discussions. Uh, the fourth thing is God. If you are a person that's, hey, I'm a Jesus follower, and you're marrying somebody that's a Buddhist, you know, there's, you need at least to have some discussion. What are the expectations? You may be a person that doesn't believe in God at all, and, and planning on getting married to somebody that that's sort of the core center value of their life. Where are, where are we going to worship? It's even sometimes, because when you marry somebody, you're not just marrying that somebody, you're marrying that somebody's family. Right? Those of you that are married, let's just take a moment and think about that. But, uh, you know, what are, what are their views? What are they going to expect if they are from maybe a different religious background? Are they going to expect your kids when they get to a certain age to integrate into this particular religious environment that you don't want them to? This isn't something that you need to discuss when that time comes. Discuss it beforehand. And this fifth one, and we'll cover it just as quickly as we can because of some questions that came in, is the subject of power. If you are a, uh, a guy that views that guys are always in charge and you have to do what I say and you have to listen to what I say and I make the final decision, yeah, you can give some input, but, um, you know, I'm going to make the final call, that's going to possibly cause some problems. And that's uh, sort of the, the questions. We're going to skip the first question again, Erica, but there are two questions that... I'm going to read them both, and they may seem like they have nothing to do with each other, but um, I'm going to back up and give a basic understanding that apply to both of them, and I'm going to attempt to answer two questions at one time, never been done before a live audience. We're going to try it this morning. Two questions at one time. So here's the first question. Based off of service, uh, two services ago or so, I understand the part about treating your wife as you would the church. We the Ephesians says that the husband is to love his wife as Christ loved us, the church. Also, listening to the advice of your wife. I'm not an expert on the scripture, but doesn't it say that the husband will be held ultimately responsible for the family decisions, both right and wrong? If so, how do you approach this when making joint decisions that affect the family as a whole? The basic question is, doesn't the Bible say that, yeah, you can have a discussion, and yeah, you should listen to your wife, but ultimately, the husband's in charge. So, if that's true, what happens 
when you come to an impasse and she wants this and you want this, basically do I get to say, well, I'm the one that's in charge, you have to listen to me. And so we're going, we're going to look at that. But first of all, let me just answer this before we go on. Doesn't it say that the husband will be held ultimately responsible for the family decisions? It, there is nowhere in the Bible that it says that. There are some places that people have taken and implied that, and we're going to discuss, about, discuss that. But there's nowhere that says the husband is ultimately responsible. Now, the second question, once again, may sound unrelated, but uh, the background that we need to talk about helps with both questions. If God cares so much about marriage sanctity, then why has he never explicitly talked about, talked against polygamy? Uh, he could say he doesn't approve of it, and there are obvious negatives. By the way, let me stop. What do you see as negatives for polygamy? If there's obvious negatives, what are the obvious negatives? Sharing a husband. Sharing a husband. <laughs> I already have to share him with football. Golf, work, okay. Sharing a husband. What? Money. Money. There's just not enough money for all that wifing going on. Or husbanding. We always, of course, in the, in, from the Bible, where polygamy is talked about, it's never a wife has six husbands. It's one husband and several wives. Uh, what are, are there positives to polygamy? Friendship? Shared responsibility. Child care. Let's just get practical with it. Actually, you're going to increase the need for child care. So to me, I think it's proportional. I don't know. Okay, so I'm not answering yet whether I'm for it or against it. <laughs> but she said this question, this question came from Life Group on Wednesday night. Um, and we won't get to fully answer this, so you need to be at Life Group on Wednesday night. We'll go further. But why do not explicitly address exactly what marriage should look like specifically? Okay. So with these two questions, hey, isn't the husband in charge? Because there are, there are absolute verses that say the husband is the head of the wife. It says it in the Bible. And so for years and years and years, and understand this, for for centuries, it's mainly been the men that have been doing the theological study and exegesis, it's called, where you extract the meaning from the scriptures. It's been the men, mainly, that have done this. And so for years, there's been certain things. And there's a technique theologians call the technique that most traditional churches use to back up whatever their particular belief is. Uh, it's called proof texting where you have a particular idea, a particular subject you're wanting to get across, or a way of viewing things, or uh, a way of thinking. And so you look through the Bible, and you find certain texts. And it's a, you know, maybe a small portion of Scripture, and you look at that text, and you say, there is truth. It's in between these two leather covers that says, Holy Bible, and we're saying that the Holy Bible is the uncompromised, infallible, inerrant word of the living God. So anywhere I open the pages and I point my finger and I see a particular passage, then that is truth. We treat the Bible like it's a scientific manual where, you know, if you open a scientific manual and it says objects in motion tend to stay in motion uh, unless acted on by a greater force, then, okay, that is truth. It's, it's something that I just, it's a textbook. It's a reference manual. It's a how-to guide. When uh, actually... And I'm going to show you why I think this. The Bible is actually a story of an interaction 
between God and man in a very broken condition. And there are uh, some, a better way to look at it to actually see what is it that God wants. And maybe it's not simply what looks like on the surface as I just shall, just quickly uh, sort of scan across these pages and pick one verse that that one verse is absolute truth of what God wants. So I always say this, and this sort of gets us started here, um, that God always puts relationship before rules, people before principles, and love before law. And I'm going to show you where I get that, I, that idea from. But here's what God does. All through the scripture, God holds up his ideal, but he comes down to our real. There is something that God actually intended from the beginning, but because of the broken system, because we've rebelled and uh, basically run away from what God originally planned, God has to, I, I use the word stoop, he will come down to the reality of what the situation is and work with us where we are, intending to bring us closer and closer and closer to what he originally wanted. But he doesn't just leave us because we can't accept his idea. And many times through the scripture, God appears to condone and even approve of something that is not, wasn't his idea and is definitely not his ideal. If you just quickly look, and especially if you look with a microscope, which is just like closing your eyes and throwing a dart to the map, and you throw your dart at the Bible, and you look at that. <sighs> Sorry, ladies, it says the husband is the head of the wife. You have to do what he says. That means head, head means he's in charge. But the best way is, first of all, we start with Jesus, and then we back up, and we look at it as a whole. But, um, and here's something that's very interesting. People get really mad when I say this. Well, Christians get mad. Other people are like, duh. There is no one, no one takes all the Bible literally. Nobody. People that, and you, some of you have grown up in very fundamentalist, very traditional churches, and they will say, oh, we believe every word of the Bible from Genesis to revolutions to the maps. And we believe that every bit of it's true. No, you don't. Sure I do, every, every bit of it. When your child back talks, do you stone them to death? Well, no. The Bible says you're supposed to. When your wife has that time of the month, do you make her wear a ribbon and cry unclean as she walks through the mall? Because the Bible says you're supposed to. Do you wear cotton and poly? Some of you are taking notes. Oh, that's a good one. We got to do that. Oh, that'll win people to Jesus right there. Do you wear cotton and polyester together? Well, yeah. Well, you're sinning according to the Bible. If somebody works on a Saturday, I sound like Jeff Foxworthy a little bit. You might be a Bible redneck. If somebody works on a Saturday, do you kill them with stones because they were picking up some sticks to make a fire? No. The Bible does. So we have to back up and see, hey, what's the deal here? Maybe this isn't telling us a prescription for every little thing we need to do. What did God have in mind and what is, he, what is he working in the system? Now, where I got the way that I view understanding what God wants and who God is, I didn't just come up with it. I didn't just read it in a book somewhere. Well, I read it in a book. But um, I got it from this guy right here. Um, his name was Joshua. We call him Jesus. But um, here's this story. Some Pharisees, these are the religious people. This is how I got this view. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him, talking about Jesus, with this question. 
And they said, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Well, Jesus says, and this is Jesus. You, you know, we all think of Jesus as this real holy person. What's about to happen next is Jesus being a really smart aleck. Because the Pharisees, they read the scriptures day and night. It was their job. They read the Bible like it was their job. Because it was their job. And so Jesus says to them, haven't you read the scriptures? It's like, it was the, one of the most offensive things you could say to a Pharisee is, you should read your Bible. So, he says, haven't you read the scriptures? They record that, what's that next phrase? From the beginning, God made them male and female. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the, how many? Two are united into one. So, by the way, what the question is, why doesn't God explicitly say something concerning what he has viewed for marriage, not polygamy, right here at the very beginning, God said two, not 16, two. Two are united into one. Since they are no longer, how many? Two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Now, the Pharisees are about to have a Bible debate with Jesus, the Son of the living God. They're about to present him Scripture. They're about to proof text. This is what happens in many discussions with Christians. Well, the Bible says this. Well, the Bible says this. Well, it says this. and Well, well it says this. And these are the ones that I like, so I'm going to obey these. I don't know about those, but I'm going to obey these. And it just becomes this battle. So what the Pharisees are doing, they, they say, then why did Moses in the law say that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away? That's Bible verse. That's chapter and verse. That's in the scripture. You can go to the Old Testament. It says if you want to divorce your wife, give her a written notice of divorce. By the way, this is God showing his ideal, but then coming to our real. God, um, he always has, this is what I would like. But then he knows, well, these things are going to happen. So I'm going to put some loving parameters around these particular things. In the case of a woman that's um, a, a man, for example, in, in that particular culture, if a woman burnt the biscuits, the man could say, oh, I'm tired of your cooking. Just go. I'm done with you. And she's out. She doesn't have the opportunity that men have to be educated. She doesn't have the opportunity men have to uh, earn a living for herself. So God says, okay, I know divorce is going to happen, so let me put some loving parameters around that. If you're going to divorce her, don't just send her out because then the other guys in your culture that are sort of stupid as well are going to look at her and say, well, she's damaged goods. She must have been unfaithful to her last husband. That's why she's out on the street. I don't want to marry her. But in this case, she has something in writing that says, no, 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 I just burnt the biscuits. He said he likes them crispy. I got a little carried away. I can turn down the oven if you'd like. And so this new guy can say, oh, so you're legally, yeah, okay, I'll take you as, as my husband. She has now a way to be supported in her life. It's a loving way that is not what God originally intended, but he's allowing it because of the person. 
cares more about the person than he does the principles. And if he can keep this society together long enough, he will bring them to, to his ideal. So they said, well, and Jesus said to them, now this is Jesus talking. Moses permitted that only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally intended. Now here we have some things that we have to face that Jesus is saying that there's some parts that I'm looking at in the B-I-B-L-E that that's not God's what God intended. That's just a concession. That's an allowance because of the condition of the hearts of the people he's trying to deal with. I, he allowed that. But then he gives this principle, it wasn't what God originally intended in the beginning. So when we look at, is a man in charge and women aren't in charge? Where did that come from? Let's look at what God said in the beginning. Then the Lord said, this is Genesis chapter 2, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. This verse has been used for centuries and centuries. Once again, men doing the theological exegesis and understanding uh, that See, the man was given the authority, and the woman, she's just there to supplement and compliment, help the man. So in, in one sense, whether it's even explicitly stated, it's implied, but the man's in charge, the woman's there just to help. But this word azer in the Hebrew, the word helper is azer in the Hebrew. It's actually many times it's applied to God. Are you saying God is subordinate to man? And it actually means something that's absolutely necessary. Can't even have the connotation of a savior. And those of you guys that would be honest, we've, there's lots of guys that the woman that they met, or even vice versa, it doesn't have to be one or the other, but the woman they met is actually the one that's kind of saved everything. Just like in the finances in our marriage, my wife is our savior. She's not just my little helper. No, she is absolutely necessary. She is my savior She's like God in the area of finances in our house. Here's another verse. I'll just look at several. This is in the beginning. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign. They will rule. They will have joint authority. Over what? Over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky. Basically over the planet. Not they will rule over each other. They will rule together, jointly, king, queen, not one more than the other, over this creation of mine. And then it says, so he created uh, human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We see that the image of God is equally male and female. Not male, female. No, male and female. Both reflect the image of God. Here's another one. Then he said to the woman, and by the way, when he created them male and female, chapter 4 of Genesis, and I know I've said these things before, just reiterating. In Genesis 4, it says he, he created them and called their name Adam. Not one above the other. Then uh, he said to the woman, I will sharpen, this is after they've sinned in the Garden of Eden. This is God saying to Adam and Eve. Pronouncing, people have said this is pronouncing curse. I want us to look at it just a little differently. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. And you will desire, the NLT is actually does a good job here with this translation. 
Um, King James, I believe, says your desire will be to your husband, and he will rule over you. And so this says you will desire to control your husband, and he will rule over you. Now, this for years has been used as God cursing and changing everything up because of sin and saying, okay, from now on, especially Eve, you're the one that got us in this problem. If you hadn't eaten that apple to begin with, it's all your fault. We'd still be in the garden. So from now on, Adam, you're in charge. Eve, just try not to get in his way. That's basically how it's been taught. But actually, in Hebrew, and this all through the Old Testament, so much is confusion is, is caused by not knowing this simple thing. In Hebrew, there's two different modes, if you will. There's the prescriptive mode where God is saying, do this. I'm prescribing this for humanity. But then there's also the descriptive mode. In this case, it isn't God saying, this is what I want. This is how it's going to be from now on. It's God describing, because you've went away from what I told you to do, because you've chosen not to choose relationship with me, this is what's going to happen now. It's not my idea. It's not my ideal. But this is what's going to happen. There's going to be a power struggle. In fact, those words, he, your desire will be toward him, that in the Hebrew it actually sort of suggests that you're going to try to manipulate him from now on. And the word is close to tyrannize from the man's standpoint. He's going to tyrannize you because he's bigger, because he's stronger. He's now going to try to dominate you with his sheer force of his will. And you're going to try to manipulate him. But this is the Mark Rowden translation. From now on, it's going to be a power struggle. From now on, you're going to be against each other instead of the way that I chose for it to happen is you doing this together. Now, um, we'll once again, let's go to John 13 again. Um, I just want to show this real quick and then we're going to do the ceremony. Even if you are a person that sort of believes, and I understand, I grew up believing this. It caused havoc in our marriage. We still sometimes uh, have, feel the effects of it today because of uh, the way that I was raised. Whether it, wasn't, it was never explicitly said, but I had the view that the man is the head of the woman. The husband's the head of the wife. Why did I have that? Because that's what the Bible say. That's what it says. But let's say that we even view that. What does it mean to be the head? And we could talk so, I wish we could do marriage series for three more weeks. We'll probably talk about this more on Wednesday night. I'm going to pause again for a commercial announcement. Wednesday night, 6.30, question mark, life group, you should be there. There's hot dogs here. What more would you want? We discuss the Bible, we eat hot dogs. It's like heaven on earth to me. Um, but here's an interesting thing. Jesus, there's an event that happened at the end of Jesus' life. And the Bible tells me to be the head of my wife just like Jesus is the head of the church. So if I do believe, oh yeah, husband's the head of the wife. Okay, I'm supposed to be the head like Jesus is the head of the church. How is Jesus the head? Well, here in John chapter 13, this is right before Jesus is about to be crucified. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over what? Everything. Here's a person who is in charge of everything. So what is your job? I'm in charge of everything. <laughs> That's Jesus. He is the head. He is the boss. 
He is in charge of it all. What does he do? He knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. The very next verse. So he got up from the table. That in itself is great instruction to us as husbands. Get up from the table and put those dishes in the dishwasher. But here, Jesus, he didn't just sit there. I'm in charge of everything. You guys should bow and do everything I said. No. When he realized, I'm in charge of everything, he got up from the table, took off his robe, symbol of authority, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around them. The way that Jesus operates as the head, as the guy that's in charge, is he gets up and he kneels down. He stoops. Kingdom authority, kingdom relationships is a dance of who can be under the other, not who can be over. It's power under, not power over. Jesus illustrates this with all authority. If you want to be in charge, great. But what you're going to do with that is you're going to submit to those that you're in charge of and you're going to serve them. So we'd like to talk a lot more about that Wednesday night. So what we're going to do right now, we have just a few minutes left. And I know a few people have signed up, but um, if you're here and you're married and you would like to um, have your vows renewed. In fact, I don't know, we don't, uh, are we filming this? I don't know if I want this to be on, I guess it's just all right. But um, I thought about doing this first service, but, and it may not work. This, this may not work at all, what I'm about to do. But I actually have one more question, and I need my wife to help me with this question. So if you don't mind, come up here. Um, sorry, I didn't, up there. <laughs> up there? Yes. This is my wife, Jeannie. Now, yeah, she's really great. So um, in, in this question, do you, do you think it's really necessary for a person to go like through a formal proposal thing that they do before they get married? Because we didn't have a formal proposal, right? No. Does it ever bother you that we didn't have a formal proposal? You proposed to me. No, but I didn't do the whole... I basically said in the car one day, so you think we should get married? Yeah, something like that. Do you think that that's important? I don't know. I like the way you're pushing. I don't know what to say. No. Because what I want to do is I want to actually do it this morning. I don't know if I can get back up after I get down. (laughs) But I want you to renew your vows this morning with me. So, I know we didn't dress for it or prepare for this or anything, but I love you with all my heart. Will you marry me? Good. I'm so glad you said yes. Local pastor proposes to his wife. She rejects him. Well, I could just see the headline. So what we're going to do is if, if you uh, would like to do that, if you, whether you've signed up or not, you can just say, hey, honey, let's go up there and do that. We're going to take your pictures afterwards right over here. But come up to the front. We have a real quick ceremony we would like to go through. If you would like to do that now, just stand up where you are and uh, come up here and just stand right across the front. And I'm going to do it too. Because my wife said yes. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it really could have gone either way. Alright. You can just move those chairs if you want to. Right? Anybody else? Last chance. We may never do this again. I'm just kidding. You have your whole life. 
So, um, this whole renewal thing, awesome. Awesome, more people. Um, weddings are great. I do want to let everybody here know that I did my first wedding without crying this morning. And so I'm hoping I get through this without crying again. Um, and so it's, it's wonderful. You know, marriage is, is great. It's a big deal. You know, we can go through our lives and we meet a lot of people that are special to us and meet a lot of people that we fall in love with in one way or another. But partnering with someone is so important and it brings so much flavor and joy and pain to your life and love is such a beautiful thing. So congratulations, everyone. I'm going to start reading my script now. Uh, we're here to celebrate love. The decision to renew one's vows. Oh, I'm so sorry. We got you. Good deal. You ready for this? Okay, we'll get going now. We're here to celebrate love. The decision to renew one's vows is a beautiful thing. It's more than simply saying a few words and hoping for good things to come. It's recommitting to a lifelong of love, integrity, compromise, and work. When you first joined Hands in Marriage, you probably weren't sure where life would take you. You promised to love, honor, and cherish one another through all things. And I'm sure that life has brought you blessings and hardships, but here you are today, having fulfilled your vows to love and wishing to reaffirm your work and renew your marriage. I want to be the first to say congratulations for making this decision. Here at Stonebrook, we love you. We want to help you in community and help develop each other in this journey that Jesus set us on, simply love. I believe that love is the greatest gift we've been given. In marriage, we not only say I love you today, but I promise to love you for all of our tomorrows. And I promise to keep loving you for the rest of our existence. Since you're married, you understand that there'll be good days and bad days, days when you can't get enough of each other and days when you'd rather not be with each other. When these difficult times come, remember that love is stronger than anger. Compromise is better than resentment and believe the best of each other. Cuddle as often as possible and say I love you every single day. So, how's the vow part? If you could face each other, hold hands, look longingly into each other's eyes. Um, you've done this before. You know how this works. Repeat after me. I choose you once again to be my partner in life. I promise to be worthy of your trust and someone you can always talk to, to give you my time and my attention, to give you my love and my devotion, to be patient and understanding, be fully committed to our relationship. I promise you this in front of God and everyone here. All right, couples, you've renewed your vows here in the presence of this company. It's my pleasure to conclude the ceremony of renewal by asking each of you to seal your commitment with a kiss. Congratulations. So, 
Uh, you can go back and find your seat. Uh, thank you guys so much for agreeing to do this with us. This is really a big deal. After the service, we're going to have a photo booth over here. Um, and couples who renew their vows, of course, have first divs. So if you want to come get your picture taken, that's great. But after that, the photo booth is going to be open to literally, literally everybody here. Me and my buddy Dave hung out in the, in the, under the archway earlier like we were a married couple. Um, so make sure after Mark is finished, come up, get your picture taken. It's a lot of fun. Okay, that's fine. But there, over here, there'll be this archway. You can, everybody can come over there and take your picture, but vow renewal people go first. All right. Um, I'm going to start a brand new series next week. It's more than just about the church. It's also about your individual lives. It's going to be a really, really great uh, couple of weeks. But uh, I'm going to pray for us really quickly, and we'll get you out of here, and you can enjoy the rest of your day. Father, we thank you so very much for all that you're doing in our lives. I thank you for what you're doing in our marriages. Sometimes, Lord, it's a gradual process that you're changing us little by little. But help us to, uh, to do that dance of power under to where we seek to outserve the other person and to yield and to seek their good before our own. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you modeled this so amazingly for us as you sacrificed yourself and you gave yourself for us. And thank you that your spirit is helping us to be more and more like you. We love you, my Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, over here to the right is Eric. If you would like someone to pray with, discuss about anything at all, Eric will be back in the studio after the service. Please go and have a discussion with him. Thanks for hanging out. Have a great day. We'll see you next week.